We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Can Jordan Addison live up to my expectations? How high should you be drafting Tua in best ball? We're talking Miami Dolphins and Minnesota Vikings projections on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Roto-Viz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at Roto-Viz. Coming to you as you listen today with another projections-focused episode where it will just be me talking to you. We're talking about two very exciting teams in the fantasy landscape for the 2023 season in the Minnesota Vikings and the Miami Dolphins. Some parallels between the two teams. You have two quarterbacks that fall into this window in drafts where you can get quarterbacks that have the potential to have some weeks where they could potentially measure up to some of the elite passers in terms of their output. They also play with two solid, very solid wide receivers. We'll have to see if Jordan Addison proves to be as good as I think he could. Uh, And each team is anchored by one of the absolute best wide receivers in the league. Both teams should be pretty fun offenses to watch. And on top of that, we have the possibility, which still looks like it could be in play, of Dalvin Cook leaving Minnesota and making his way to what I believe is his hometown of Miami. Uh, For those of you that have been listening to Rotoviz Radio for a while, uh, you are familiar with my dog, Phoebe. She is refusing to sit down and just rest in her bed like she normally does when I'm recording. Uh, so every, you know, couple of minutes here, you may, me, may hear me moving away from the mic just to try to get her to calm down. Anyway, she's like 13, 14 now. We don't really know because she was a, uh, a rescue. And when we got her, she was in really bad shape. So they weren't sure if she was anywhere between two to five years old. Uh, given the length of time we have her, we think she's 13 or 14, but anyways, once it hits like nine o'clock, she's just trying to go upstairs and go to bed. 
um, which isn't always a possibility. In fact, just about never is. So she just gives me these eyes and for like three, four hours until it's time to go to bed. Anyway. Okay. Let's start off in Minnesota. This is a team that went 13 and four last year. Last year, they went 48 plays over league average with a 63 to 37% split in favor of the pass. The year prior, they were 18 plays above league average with a 57 to 43% split in favor of the pass. I think that this year we see them go somewhere around 20 to 30 plays over league average. And we probably have a similar split between pass and rush coming in around 62% in favor of the pass. Um, As we work our way through thinking about the players on this team, we'll see if any major changes in volume could really shift things uh, for any of the players in the offense. So Kirk Cousins does not rush a lot. Um, which leaves a pretty sizable chunk over 90% of rushing work that we can split out between the team's running backs. I have Alexander Madison, number one on this depth chart, no surprise there. Then Ty Chandler. We know that I have talked a lot about Dwayne McBride and my belief that he's a pretty solid football player who I think could see a fair amount of success I'm not talking like all-star level, but could be a running back that a team should be interested in giving a pretty sizable chunk of work on a week-to-week basis. We'll see if that bears out, but that did not seem like the, at least at this point in the offseason, the most sound thing to put into a baseline projection. So we end up with Alexander Madison at 48% of the Vikings rushing work. Ty Chandler at 28%, McBride at 16%. So in there, we're accounting for a little bit of the uncertainty of just how much work we can expect each back to get. Is it possible that one of them runs away with more than 50%, say like 55% of the share of rushing work? Certainly possible, but I think that um, given what we know now, that seems less likely uh, than all of the backs going under 50% and perhaps we see different sections, sections of the season where Chandler is the clear RB two and McBride is the clear RB two. And who knows, maybe one of them even overtakes Madison. However, uh, if you look at what Madison has done when he's been able to take on a lot of work for the Vikings, he has been pretty dependable, pretty, pretty solid rusher uh, for the team. So, From a receiving work perspective, if you look at the RB1 for Minnesota in 2022, there was a 66% rushing share, 9% target share. The year before that, uh, the two years before that, you saw target shares over 10%, rushing shares over 74%. So Dalvin Cook was getting a ton of work. Um Madison, I have given a similar target share when you account for the decrease uh, in overall work at 7%. So that's a pretty sizable workload for him in the receiving game. 
Chandler and McBride get around 2%. I don't have any of the backs on this team uh, operating at above average efficiency in terms of yards per carry or rushing touchdowns. As a result of that, as a group, they're only putting up about 10 touchdowns. Madison's probably kind of going to, wow, struggling here. Madison is probably going to come in somewhere between five or six um, in my baseline case. I've assigned one receiving touchdown to all of these wide receivers. As a result of this line, you don't have Madison getting to 1,000 yards. In fact, you don't have him getting to 800 yards. You have him at just six total touchdowns, and actually all-purpose yardage is still under 1,000. So if you look at where he falls in the overall running back projections that I have, he actually comes in at running back 29. Would I be drafting him as if he's running back 29? I don't think so. I think that people can be drafting him like he's the RB 23, 24. Um, In my mind, that is where it would make more sense. Um, I am not as much in the camp as others that I know in the industry are that we should be expecting Madison to have an outsized chunk of the rushing work. Uh, and that in also in that rushing work that he is able to uh, be super efficient. But if we wanted to play around with this, uh, because in the configuration that we have right now, you have Chandler at 46 McBride at 68. So, I don't think that we need to think about the tweaks that you could make to them, but let's think about what could happen for Madison. So if he does get a 55% rushing share, and I think if that happens, it's probably safe to say that maybe we see him get to a 9% target share and we leave him with six touchdowns. We leave him with just moderate uh, average efficiency as a rusher in that scenario. We do see him make a little bit of a jump, but up to RB21. Let's see what we'd have to do to get him firmly into like mid-level RB2 status. Uh, We'd have to up his rushing touchdown percentage to 0.04 to get him up to nine rushing touchdowns, giving him 10 overall touchdowns. And that adjustment would get him into the RB15 type of range. So there's certainly room for Madison, uh, but I think that's making a lot of leaps in your baseline assumption there, uh, which is why when I say to me, viewing him as more of an RB, maybe 23, 24 type of player uh, makes more sense. But certainly, there are reasons to consider going after Madison. Uh, I'm not denying that. I just think that when you start to put numbers behind this, um, you can see how it might be difficult to get Madison to the level where some people think uh, that he should be valued. Now, if I pop into uh, an underdog draft right now, and I look at where he's going, for example, in the slow puppy, um, Madison's going at RB19, which I think is a little bit ahead of where that baseline projection has him come out. That said, though, 
um, a lot of the players that are behind him, I think it, it is fair that he is ahead of. I, I think there might only be a handful, maybe two or three guys that I actually would move ahead of him. So maybe the larger takeaway there is where he's going. Um, that might be a spot uh, where there's just a lot of running backs with a lot of uncertainty, which makes sense. The final thing that we could look at here would be what if we give Madison just a 50% rush share and a 7% target share like I had, but alternatively, we see the team's play volume move up maybe 25 plays, uh, and maybe they get up to around 1,102 plays. That would give him a little bit of an uptick in, um, and let's say that most of those are rushing plays, so let's pop it up to like, 430 rushing attempts that gets the team um, closer to 1100 overall plays. If you do that, you still end up with Madison uh, coming in at RB 23. So I think that that gives some insight there on Madison uh, and where you should be considering uh, his point scoring potential. For the wide receivers, Justin Jefferson last year smashes, no question about it, gets a 29% target share, had eight receiving touchdowns. Uh, Every year of his career, he's been over 14 yards per reception. We should see him come in this year somewhere around 14.5. His receiving touchdown rates have all been over 6%. Uh, Seven touchdowns in a 16-game Rookie year, 2021, he had 10. Last year, he had eight. So Adam Thielen leaves. Jordan Addison comes in. Jordan Addison, I have talked about a lot. I'm very impressed by him. I think we see him step in as that wide receiver too. Justin Jefferson, I think a target share for him that makes sense is 29%. Is it possible you could see it go as high as 32, 33? We'll talk about what that would look like, but it likely doesn't really matter because if you roll forward Jefferson's efficiency uh, and you, you give him a slight uptick to 8% of receiving touchdowns this year and we'll play with it. You end up with him uh, as the wide receiver one ahead of Jamar chase by about 10 points. How high could things go for him? Uh, Well, in Comparison to Christian McCaffrey, who's at 345, um, Jamar Chase at 375, Tyreek Hill at 361. And of course, these players could realize more upside as well. But if you just give Justin Jefferson a 32% target share, which maybe it happens, maybe Addison takes longer than I'd expect to get going. Maybe the team just decides without Dalvin Cook, it's going to pass more and that could kind of offset the increase to 32, but give an uptick in overall passing volume, you could see Jefferson getting into the 400s. Um, Probably um, not going to happen in the majority of scenarios, but that's definitely in play. So, you know, Jefferson's going to have such a good season in so many reasonable outcomes that I think a lot of the things you could do don't really factor in that much. Uh, like even if we give him, if we drop him down to a 26% uh, target share and we scale him back. So instead of nine touchdowns, we see him at seven 
Um, let me just quickly get my math right. Um, you'd still see him coming in as the wide receiver four. Um, so you could have a lot of things scaling back for him and he could still finish in the top six, um, against baseline scenarios pretty easily. So Jordan Addison's probably the player that is more interesting. Um, Adam Thielen. As the wide receiver two last year, got a target share of 17% across 17 games. Uh, in 2021, he was at a 21% target share. I have slated Addison in when I look at the rest of the makeup of this team. Um, accounting for the fact that they do have TJ Hawkinson this year, who Hawkinson um, gets a pretty similar share to Addison. I have Addison in that 19%. I have put his numbers fairly conservative. Uh, just 12 yards per reception, a 7% receiving touchdown rate for this exercise to try to give us a more conservative idea, not getting um, ahead of myself here on where Addison could finish. And those numbers would get him to wide receiver 28 in what I actually believe to be a fairly conservative estimate for Jordan Addison. Um, if we were to see a situation where he could bump up to maybe 13 and a half yards per reception, and maybe we see him go for eight touchdowns, which I, I really do think uh, is possible in that scenario, you could have Addison coming in, closer to wide receiver 20. Um, so I'd say his upside is probably somewhere around wide receiver 20 in terms of downside. Maybe we have a situation where it's largely concentrated into Hawkinson and Jefferson, and we see him only able to capture about 15% of a share. You have pretty weak efficiency. You pop him back to 12 yards per reception. Maybe he only gets, uh, maybe four receiving touchdowns uh, in that situation, you'd probably have Addison falling out somewhere closer to like wide receiver 46. So there is a lot of downside for Addison um, pretty wide range of outcomes. That said right now in drafts, I'm seeing Addison going as the wide receiver 36. So that spot, I think, um, is pretty reasonable. Um, and at that spot, I would definitely be drafting him because I do think that though there's that downside, uh, you could make a similar case for other players in that range. But I do think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of very nice scenarios for Addison in there, despite the fact that he's playing with the best wide receiver in the game, arguably, and uh, one of the top three or four tight ends. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So TJ Hawkinson, if we look at what he did last season, and... Obviously, it's a little bit uh, of an exercise in trying to make sense of what a full season would look like for him. Um, But if we go to the... Let's just pull up his game log in the Rotoviz Player Stat Explorer and make a little bit of sense of what his season trended like and talk a little bit about the... First couple of games he played with Minnesota versus the last couple in the year and see if there's any sizable differences. So his first game with Minnesota comes in week nine. Immediately we see him get nine targets, then 10 the week after that. There's actually a little bit of a low at rounds like week 12 to 13, 14 for him where he's averaging closer to seven. Then in week 16, get 16 targets, week 17, 12 Uh, had two touchdowns against the Giants in week 16. So we do see his usage kind of creep up a little bit towards the end of the season. Some games getting a market share up into the 30s. Um, Across the games that he did play with Minnesota, he is averaging somewhere. um, Hold on, forgive me for a second here. Let's get the exact number. Um, and I'm going to leave out week. Oh, never mind. I was looking at, uh, yeah, let's leave out week 18 here where he saw one target. Um, so he's averaging across those games, 9.4 targets with an average target market share of somewhere around 24%. So if we say, that Hawkinson, to be conservative, only gets 18% of the target share, given a pretty high catch rate that you could expect with him and Kirk Cousins. Uh, And then we roll forward some of his efficiency numbers, assume he gets around six receiving touchdowns. Uh, He did only have three last year. Um, If we do that, Hawkinson... Uh, three with Minnesota last year. 
I should probably specify, yeah, a 22% target share with Minnesota. Um, something similar gets him to tight end three with 201 overall points. The thing is, though, that 18 could very realistically be too low, and we could see him with a 23% target share. Um, in that type of scenario, Hawkinson still finishes third, among tight ends, but the distance between him and these other tight ends or even other wide receivers really gets closed, which brings me to my final point on Minnesota. I think that if you want to take a large stance on this team, you do need to some decide, decide at some point, um, is it Hawkinson or is it Addison or are they both just kind of at baseline? If you think it's Hawkinson, then I do think that you should really be going after him aggressively in drafts, uh, especially where we're seeing him go right now. Because if it does play out, you're getting a tight end that's going to outscore a lot of wide receivers. And in an FFPC scenario where it's tight end premium scoring, he's going to be one of the higher scoring players in the league if he does get to that 23-24% target share. Um, but the good news is that he only needs to deliver on that fairly conservative baseline projection, you know, as conservative as it could be to still be a great pick at his current ADP. So that takes us through, well, we just spent a lot of time on Minnesota, but definitely an interesting team that takes us through Minnesota. Let's make our way now down into Florida, specifically Miami, where we have a team that went nine and eight last year. From a team level perspective, they were 51 plays below league average. Uh, the one thing that does muddy the waters here a little bit is that we had games without Tua last year. Hopefully, you know, we're all have our, our fingers crossed here that he can stay healthy this year. Last year got pretty scary. Um, hopefully does not have those concussion issues this year is able to be healthy, play a full complement of games. I think if that happens, we see a pretty significant jump. They come up closer to league average in terms of play volume, a 60, 40 split in favor of the pass last year. They had a 60, 40 split years prior to that. They've been right around there. Um, for Mike, Mike McDaniel, um, I think that uh, it would not be surprising to see that type of rate carry forward. And as a result of that, I think that uh, the play volume ends up somewhere fairly in line um, with the expectations that we have here. Uh, we can shift that split around a little bit, but the reality is it probably does not make a huge difference for the players that we're looking at. Um, oh my gosh, I just realized for Minnesota, I did not mention Kirk Cousins. We got to talk about Kirk Cousins here for a second. Kirk Cousins, I have at almost 5,000 passing yards, 27 passing touchdowns. He comes out in my projections as the QB eight, um, ahead of Trevor Lawrence, ahead of Tua, ahead of Dak, ahead of Daniel Jones, ahead of Deshaun Watson, ahead of Aaron Rodgers. very close to 
Well, actually, he and Trevor Lawrence are basically sandwiched in the same point total, right in a tier, you would say, with Justin Fields. So Kirk Cousins, who you can see sometimes going at quarterback 13, quarterback 14, with a big gap um, separating those higher-level passers and Cousins, becomes a fantastic option this year. I've always talked a lot about Kirk Cousins the last couple of seasons. I think we're looking at something very similar in this year where he's perhaps a very sneaky way to get near elite quarterback production some weeks out of a player that you're getting rounds later. All right, Minnesota. Excuse me, Miami. Okay. So, Tua, very limited rushing um, for him in the project, in the projection this year. Um, scaling him down to a rate of 9%. Did give him two rushing touchdowns, which is worth noting. Um, if you look at Tua's stats from last year as a rusher, uh, zero rushing touchdowns, but in his two seasons prior had three. Um, we'll have to see if things shake out a little bit differently this year. Uh, had 25 passing touchdowns last year in just 13 games. 8.9 passing yards per attempt a 6% passing touchdown rate. It was a good year for him. We'll come back to Tua, but if we focus on the running backs, assuming that we don't see any other changes there, I think that you see a very similar split between these running backs, and they they might have windows of the season, like I mentioned, with Minnesota, where one player is going to get more run than the others. I would still give Raheem Mostert the highest proportion of the team's backfield work. I have him in a baseline projection at 38% rushing, a target share of 7%. Uh, to baseline ourselves here, in 2022, Mostert's first year for Miami, he saw 51% of the rushing work, actually had an 8% target share. That was across 16 games. If you look at Jeff Wilson, um, He had, uh, hold on one second here. Um, uh, let me, let me take a look at one thing here. All right. Um, okay. Right. So Jeff Wilson, gets acquired by the Dolphins at the end of October. Um, in his games with the Dolphins, we see him get 17 carries um, against the Browns, 13 against Houston, little bit of a low stretch, 15 against New England, 16 against the Jets. Uh, had one game with seven targets, but it's normally somewhere around like 10 rushing attempts and somewhere around maybe like three and a half targets, um, which does mean that if I'm looking at his numbers with Miami, we do see him with a 45% rushing share and an 8% target share uh, in the games that he's playing in. So, 
I still think though, uh, that we, despite that, that we see a larger proportion of, of work for Mostert. So I have a 38 to 26 split between them in terms of the rushing work. Uh, and I do have Mostert getting more receiving targets. This is another situation of a backfield though, where, um, it's hard to maybe fully encapsulate things in a projection and they might all come out lower than is possible from an upside perspective. I have the rookie and chain at a 23% rushing share, 3% target share. Um, all of those things conspire to create a situation where you're not going to get excited about any of these running backs. <coughs> Most are, if he is the guy that gets to that, you know, near 40% split, maybe somewhere on 7% of the targets type of deal comes in as a low end RB three. What would it take for him to become an RB two? Well, if we give him approximately what he did last year, give him 50% rushing share, Maybe we say that he somehow gets up to a 9% target share. Uh, carry forward, like, decent efficiency um, in terms of yards per carry. Hey, let's say we even bump him up to five rushing touchdowns. Um, this would get him to be somewhere around... running back 24. I would say that if you're looking at this team, unless you really feel super compelled about any of them, the highest you're probably getting one of these guys to is a fringe RB2. But that's clearly factored into the price for these players as right now. And the other thing depressing their ADP is the fact that they're still Dalvin Cook kind of lurking in the background. You have Raheem Mostert at RB54, which it feels like he could certainly outplay. Then you have Wilson um, much, much later. And um, a chain right now is going at RB39, so fairly similar to Mostert, who, as I said, you're seeing somewhere. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Mostert and Wilson are going behind the rookie. Um, as a result of that, I think Mostert is a player that I'd had a, a, a lot of exposure to earlier on. I did back off some when it looked like there's a possibility that Dalvin Cook could have ended up there. So I didn't want to be overexposed and also on a player. And this is from a best ball perspective, uh, that there's this very wide range of outcomes for. And even if he does realize one of the better scenarios is probably not going to win me. Uh, a league and some of that decision just came from last year having too much uh, or too many redundant uh, later on my roster positional running backs. So a lot of like my RB fives and sixes were very similar across teams. And I wanted to change that to some extent this year. So kind of rambling about the running backs there, um, but really a hodgepodge the wide receivers. We probably care more about, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Tyreek Hill at a 30% uh, receiving share. You have Jalen Waddle at a 24% receiving share in my baseline model here. I have them both getting some carries as well, picking up a little bit of extra production as rushers. Uh, Hill at nine receiving touchdowns. 
Waddle at eight. This is pretty similar to what we saw last year. You had Hill at a 32% target share, had seven receiving touchdowns, went for 1,700 yards. Um, Jalen Waddle last year in year two had a target share of 22%, had eight receiving touchdowns, 13 50 in terms of yardage. So my numbers for them this year are pretty similar. Just a little bit of an uptick for them. As a result of that, we see Tyreek Hill actually coming in as my wide receiver three. And we have Jalen Waddle coming in also in the top 10 as a wide receiver nine in my projections. So Hill really lands into that top tier and then you have Waddle down with guys like A.J. Brown, um, Garrett Wilson, perhaps a little bit behind Diggs um, and C.D. Lamb. So there's one more player we're actually going to talk about here, and that is the tight end. Because last year, we saw Miami's tight end one actually see a target share of 9% and record five receiving touchdowns uh, this year. I think that we could see their tight end one in Durham Smith, uh, sorry, Durham Smythe, get to around 12% in some cases. Uh, and even just with two receiving touchdowns, this is a player that's going in the 40s um, among tight ends could see him actually finishing in the twenties. And I think this is important because very easy. And as Curtis and I talked about, there are some constructions where getting that third tight end, no matter how late is useful or even going three tight ends late has some utility. Uh, this makes him a very attractive option because he's there in just about every single draft that I've been in right at the end of the draft, an easy way to fill in that third tight end on your roster. Maybe you get a couple of weeks where he factors in and makes a little bit of a difference for you. So I didn't want to mention him. We end up with Tua coming in as the QB 10 uh, in the baseline projections, right in line with guys like Cousins, Lawrence, uh, Dak Prescott. So I have this tier of passers in Prescott, Cousins, and Tua, and in some cases, Daniel Jones, but to a lesser extent. And I guess I, I would actually, in my mind, put Deshaun Watson in this category of uh, quarterbacks that, though they don't have the firepower of the Allens, the Jacksons, the Burrows, uh, still can kind of be like an anchor in a build where you do need to get one of the stronger quarterbacks into it. Uh, so I think those guys have a lot of utility this year. Uh, the really nice thing about both Cousins and Tua, obviously, is you don't have to reach too much on the quarterback to be able to stack them with one of those absolute dynamite wide receivers. Uh, and also, you have the out if you're kind of planning on going one of these guys or you want to try to get some builds in with them. If you're not able to get uh, Jefferson, you have Addison later or Hawkinson. Um and then, of course, with Tua, you know, if you don't get the Tyreek Hill picks every time, you know, some of those Waddle teams you can sprinkle him in with 
And I actually would not forget about trying to also go for somebody like Cedric Wilson uh, pretty late, who isn't going to be a factor across the season. Uh, but we have seen some games for Cedric Wilson. Let me pull up his game log last year, actually. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We did have um, a couple of games last year. Well, all right. I'm making more of a case than <laughs> I'm trying to make a case that really isn't super apparent based off of what happened last year. But I just think that in the context of a conf of an offense like Miami's, when you're playing with a couple of absolute dynamite receivers, it does keep some things in play for you there. Of course, we'll have to look at uh, the other receivers on this roster and where they're expected to fall out uh, coming out of training camp. Uh, for the Dolphins as we get a little bit closer to the start of the season. Okay, two really exciting teams. Um, you should be hearing from Curtis in another episode this week. I won't be back until next, most likely, but appreciate you uh, checking out these episodes and hope that you have a great week. Thank you for listening to the RotoViz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.